Well, talk to me about what happened uh, post Purple Rain. I mean, obviously it blew up, but I mean, uh, it was around that time where Jesse left. And uh, Jesse left, and then uh, I never forget the day Jesse left. He, because Prince, uh, Morse walked out, and Prince was like, "Okay, well, you know, he he got all the rest of us together with Jesse, the rest of the time together." He said, "This is how it's gonna go down. We're gonna put Paul up front, and see right there. That's a deal breaker for Jesse right there." Paul Peterson up front of Jesse Johnson after he even rode him and been such an asshole to him. That's a deal breaker. So Jesse's like, dude, I'm out of here. I'm not doing that, you know. So then after Jesse left, he looked at the four of us, me, Jerome, you know, me and Jerome and, and the two other keyboard players or whatever. No, actually it was just me, Jerome, and Paul, to be honest, because that's all that was left. And uh, he said, that's okay then. We, we're going to do family. We're going to put you up front. And uh, – Eric Lees hadn't even came up yet, you know, because, you know, his brother Alan was working for him. And Alan kind of put in Prince's ear, you know, where if you're looking for a horn player, because Prince was looking to, you know, put horns and stuff. He said, well, if you're looking for a horn player, I just happen to have a brother that plays pretty good, you know. So uh, uh, Prince heard Eric, and uh, anybody knows, if you hear Eric play, you, you're going to be in love first, first here with him, you know, that's how he is. And so uh, Prince said, oh, okay. And during this time, he was engaged to Susanna, and he knew Susanna could sing. So uh, he said, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to make a new band. We're going to call it The Family. Now, mind you, there's a band here that he grew up with, the guy, Sonny Thompson, and they had a band called The Family from back then and on the north side back in the early you know, 70s or whatever. That's where he got that from. But he decided to call us The Family. And uh, so we went into rehearsals for that. Same thing. Eight, ten hours a day for nine months rehearsing The Family. Rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. We do one gig at First Avenue, and then he takes off with Susanna and Jerome to France to do an Cherry Moon. So meanwhile, he leaves Paul here, you know, thinking that Paul's just going to hang around and not, you know, not do anything and everything. But the problem is we had a hit record with Screams of Passion. Well, if you know back in those days, the, you if you didn't, wasn't under contract, you were fair game. So here he is. Paul's 18 years old with a hit record. And he's not under contract with Prince. And by, and by the way, Prince has sent him out to L.A. to put him through acting school and, and uh, song, you know, song lessons and all, you know, singing lessons, all that shit, and put him a spot out there. But he was, had Paul out there unchaperoned. So all the record companies started coming at Paul because he was this, you know, beautiful 18-year-old kid. He could look like David Bowie and could crew and could sing. And so, you know, A&M, I know for a fact, A&M, John McClain came at uh, MCA finally came out. Well, Scott, if you are eighteen year old kid and somebody offers you two hundred fifty thousand dollars, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna say, "Oh, I'm with Prince, even though I ain't under contract, and I'm gonna go to all this"? Or are you gonna say, "Hey, uh, I can do my own thing"? Uh, hey, that's and that's what Paul did. So naturally, Prince to a, a point was got you know called me. It was get, you need to get your boy, you know, just like when Terry and Jimmy missed the flight. What, where were your boys? You need to talk to them. You know, always it fell back on me, you know. And I, I talked to Paul, but like I said, that's 250, that, that's life changing. That's life changing for an 18 year old kid, you know. And Paul was like, being, you know, I'm sorry, I hate to do this to you. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to take the deal. And that's what he did. So Prince had a fit. And Paul was Paul Punk of the Month all around the country there for a while. As you know, if you saw Prince in concert during that time, he would, he had a song called, you know, he would take high fashion and call Paul Paul Punk of the Month or whatever. But, you know, my whole thing is Paul did what he had to do at that time. I mean, he was an 18-year-old kid. And, I, you know, as much as I – and I tried to tell Paul, I said, baby bro, I said, you know, just stay for the, this – just stay for this record. Say, so we go out and tour. After that, you can do whatever the hell you want. You know, you go out and just make this as big as we can, and then you just tell Prince, like, dude, I, I'm gone, you know? Because then the offers probably would have been bigger if we could have gotten the tour with, you know, Prince and the family had toured with Prince and with Europe and all that. It would have been huge then. And then Paul could have, even though it probably wouldn't went well, he could at least, you know, he could have left and did his own thing. But he's like, no, nah, I'm, I'm going to just go. You know, and he got, Paul comes from a very musical family. You know, they're the famous first family of music here. And, uh, and I'm sure they were encouraging him too, you know, hey, you know. Do your thing, you know. So, and that's what he did. So then, of course, I, I never told you about this. Uh, uh, Prince is in needs. This is for the family's falling apart. For the screams of passions on, you know, the radio is like number nine, whatever it is. 
And so he calls me from Europe and he asked me, he said, Jellybean. I said, hey, Prince, what's up? He said, I want you to join the revolution. I said, I want you to play drums for the revolution. I said, oh, I said, okay, that's cool. I said, but what are we going to do about the family? He hung up. He hung up. And then the next, uh, about a week later, my check was cut in half. Now, mind you, I had just bought a house that he had given me the $10,000 payment for. I had just bought a house, and now he's cut my check in half. There's no way I'm going to be able to make these mortgage payments with my salary cut in half. So, you know, I, I had to do some soul searching with that. Turned out, Terry and Jimmy were starting flight time. And they were starting a production company. And so they put me on salary over there. So the little salary I got from him, from, from them, and the little salary I got from Prince, paid my mortgage until I could get on my damn feet. So, I, so this is what I've been through with Prince and Jim and Terry and all this, you know, all these guys. What was going to happen to Bobby Z? We, I guess we've been double drummers. Um, you know, he did that for a while. He had Kurt and uh, uh, Kurt and Scott and uh, uh, John Blackwell were drummers for a while. They were together. Kurt and Michael Bland were they had two drum sets for a while. He would have done that. You know, he'd done that for a minute. I don't know what would have happened. I always got in the back of my mind wish I could have done it just to see how it would have went down and stuff, but it didn't. I didn't ever get the chance. And then remember, after, shortly after that, he fired the revolution anyway. And that's when he started getting Sheila, you know, and Levi and Miko and all those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, here's yeah that covered. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's how I come Paul Peterson, uh, seventeen or eighteen years old, I guess. Eighteen years old. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, there's the rest of you, and there's you. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's and, that's how I kind of cover, man. I, I have I have some friends that still have that, like as they screensavers and stuff, man. It's, it's crazy. That's back when I had hair. <laughs> yeah, this record actually became a collector's item. I probably still yeah, have. yeah. Um, so, what did you play on this record? Uh, very little. I played the hand claps on, on high fashion and mutiny. I played electronic drums on that, and I chanted, you know, all the uh, all the way Vogue and all that kind of stuff. Very, very little, man. Not as much as I would do when I was doing my productions and stuff, you know. And that's really it was a blessing. For when I would do my productions, because now I'm in charge and I can decide what I can play on and what I can't, and that's what helped me when I started doing my productions because I was so limited when I was in this organization, fired record-wise. I wanted to be on the records, but I didn't always get on there. And my my image and stuff, people thought I was on there. I got credit for it, but I wasn't. You know, so I left Mutiny on there. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That's that's a <laughs> um, And then yeah, there's electronics on that. Huh? This one, uh, during the Purple Rain, uh, just stepping back for a minute, um, did, did you have anything to do with this one? No, 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 okay. I didn't. No, now, he did He did that after Vanity left. You know, Vanity wanted more money, so he had to, you know, create another group on the fly. He did a lot of that stuff on the fly, Scott, because, you know, Vanity quit because she, you know, he, he wanted to pay her peanuts for the movie like he paid all the rest of the peanuts. And so she wasn't having it, and... uh you know, he, he paid Morris a little bit and stuff, but Morris, you know, Morris went out and did his solo thing too and got a bunch of money. So that's the thing. I, I think I was the only one that didn't leave and, 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 and did get a bunch of money when I left. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when you did leave though and went with uh, Jimmy and Terry, um, was that also while Prince was still like over in Europe doing that stuff or was he back? Yeah, he was still over there. He was still over there. He was still over there. And then he came back and then he fired me all the way after a while. He got the phone call. Hey, Jeffy, I can't afford you no more. Had his Fred Moultrie was accounted then. And Prince said he can't afford you no more. And I said, like, oh, okay, whatever. And I just hung up the phone. I, I at, at, by that point, you know, because he had been calling me. His bodyguard uh, Gilbert, you know, who's Sheila's manager, he would call me and be like, "Bean, I'm so sorry, man. I, he's tripping and everything." And I said, "You know, we'll let him trip. You know, there's nothing I can do about it. I just got to get better at what I'm doing and make some money." And that's what I did. You know, production wise, I started making money. I did my conditions for record. I did the audition. Did Alexander O'Neill? I did Nona Hendrix, you know, and I, I just started, you know, I got into writer mode. I got in a very creative time in my life. That's, you know, and he could pull that out of you just from the bitterness of dealing with him. He could pull, he could make you like that's what happened with Terry and Jimmy and Jesse. They they were they were like driven that they themselves, you know. Well, I lost you for a second there. You said they were like what? Uh, hold on, hold on, Jelly Bean. Lost you for a second. I get your picture's frozen. 
off again. <laughs> there, no, 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 I came back. Oh, no, it keeps going out. Why does it keep doing that? It keeps going in and out. Oh, now your picture's off. Okay, is it there? You see me? No, I just hear you right now. Okay, am I there? Yeah, now I see you. Okay, okay. <laughs> right. I missed you. <laughs> <All right. laughs> wow. Okay. All right. All right. So let's talk about um, you know after you left the Prince camp. So flight uh, flight time and uh, productions. You know, I don't I don't know if people really realize the full magnitude of what you did over there. You know, with all the production work and all of the uh, yeah. playing you did on those records. So why don't you summarize yeah. that? For, for everybody? Well, it was, like I said, it was a very creative time in my life, you know, and uh, I was just determined that to get better at what I was doing, get better at, you know, playing the drums, get playing, it, especially with the guitar, I wanted to get better playing solos, uh, finding sounds on keyboards, even though I couldn't play, I could, I could fake like I could play a few things and get the sounds up, and then stuff I couldn't play, uh, Jimmy was good about, you know, playing for me, or another keyboard player, or whatever, and just, 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 you know, getting my craft better, you know, and learning, watching Terry and Jimmy, how they would do with singers. Terry's uh, a genius with singers, even though I'm sure a lot of them hate him because he would make them sing it so many damn times. They'd be like, oh, my God. And uh, I never forget when I did Nona Hendrix, uh, Why Should I Cry? And uh, She told me, she said, now, baby, we're going to do this two or three times. Remember, I'm a black woman. I, it's going to be kind of all over the place. And you take the best parts and you put it together. And this is what we're going to do. And that's what we did. And it was a hit song. But I would watch Terry just, I mean, every inflection, everything, he would go. But then his records would run to number one. So I knew it was something to it, but I wasn't sure I could do it that intensely, you know. But but it helped me. It helped my growth. It did. I wanted to ask you, and you kind of just already explained it with Terry, but, you know, what made Jam Lewis so successful and so consistent and also, you know, where they could work so well with so many different artists? Well, because I and, and Prince would attest to this, they made each artist. They gave each artist their particular sound. They that artist. They made that artist. They gave him their version of what they think he should sound like. Whereas Prince couldn't do that. You know, Prince, you gonna make me know the Prince did you? Well, with them, they would give each each group would have their own kind of thing. And then when they wanted to have some diversity, they let me do something. And my production was always gonna be different. And so they would throw that in there just to get them off, you know, that give the, the, the whole production a different flavor. You got them, then you got me. You got them, then you got me. Like in any heartbreak, I did like four or five of those songs in there. And you could tell the difference between the songs I did versus the songs they did. But it was a platinum album, you know, and that people bought into it, you know. And that was the thing about it. And it, the, each one has his own skill set. Jimmy is the melody and keyboard genius. You know, sound sonically, he's a genius. Drum machine, he's a genius. Terry is vocal master. That's his bigger thing. He plays the bass. He's a great bass player, but he's vocal. He he can get the best vocal performances. Even productions that they they didn't have that much, like Usher. You know, he did some of the most bigger Usher songs, and it, they didn't do all of Usher. They just did some of it. You know, but he got some of the best performances out of Usher because he demands it. He rides you. He, I think he learned that from Prince too. Just that that work ethic, uh, just relentless on you until you get it right. You know, so thing. Alexander O'Neill, another one. Mm -hmm. And you know, I love with Alex. Alex is a great singer, anyway. So, you know, I would just bribe him into what I wanted. You know, <laughs> I just bribe him like Alex. You know, we're gonna do this. We're gonna do that. And we we ain't gonna take that because I know he want to get out there and do his thing and smoke some dope or whatever. So, I I I, I would treat him like I would do like a known interest every day. I'd get two or three or four performances. And then I would sit there through the night and take whatever lines I like, I'd line them up and put them together. And then I'd have this immaculate lead vocal. And then I'd put my guitars and all that shit around him, you know, you know, like criticize stuff like that, use that kind of stuff. Yeah. He was great. Well, when they got back with uh, Alexander O'Neill, you know, it was like half of the, the time, uh, flight time or, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, for, for those of us who wonder what the time might've sounded like if Morris had not become lead singer, I think fake yeah. maybe is about as close yeah, as fake, innocent, you know? all that. Alex, Alex has a book out. He says that he said he he was he said it was his way of getting back at Prince. Say, come after after he left, he said half of the time came back and did his record, and he said like like Edison's the bastard child to get it up. And if you listen to it, it is you know. <laughs> so so he, he 
yeah, yeah, absolutely. So all during this time, uh, mid to late nineties, you know, you're doing this, you're a success with that. Um, yeah. All during that time though, the time is continuing to sort of hold its status and people are wanting to see the time yeah. reunite yeah. and see him again. They're yeah. not going away. I mean, if anything, the legend has kind of grown yeah. Um, yeah. because of the original work and then also all the stuff you guys did after that. Yeah. So um, you got back together in 90, coincided with Graffiti Bridge, Prince's yeah. Movie, and yeah. did the Pandemonium album. So what can you tell us about how that came together and that experience, Joey? Well, it, it, it should have been a more enjoyable, uh, uh, I'm gonna be honest, Scott, it should have been more enjoyable for me because once again, and this is basically Terry and Jimmy's fault, this is why I have a problem with them today, is that we didn't tour for that record. You know, we didn't, we didn't get a chance to tour. And, you know, and basically that was always my problem with the original time. That band never got to do its own world tour. I always felt if we did our own world tour, we would have been huge. Nobody could have been able to deal with us. If it had been us and a supporting act or something like that, and we were the headliners. We never, ever got to do that. You know, we were all, always either with Prince, then with Pandemonium. After we got Pandemonium done, Terry and Jimmy were getting million dollars a deal on productions. There was no way they were going to stop doing that. Well, then that's at the expense of me, Morris, and Monty, and Jesse, you know, because we want to tour, and they're not. They, You know, we always do a record and then go on TV. This is as recently as 08 no, and with the original seven. Do a record, go on TV, do a couple TV performances, one or two here, and then stop. You can't do that. You can't do that and expect your, your, your album to sell and for it to be a success. You have to get off of your ass and get out here and work. And this is basically what the Boris Day and Time version have done. This is what we've done, and this is why we're still here today, and I can make a living and live in this damn house I live in because we still work to this day, you know. So, but yeah, it, it should have been financially and, and spiritually, all of that should have been a lot better than it was. I'm glad I did it. It's part of my legend. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a cool ass record. The, the rock songs on there, especially that Jesse did, were fierce. And once again, it was kind of like a black cat thing with them. They heard, I played some of them songs to some of them rockers. He's like, oh my God. You know, like Blondie and, and, and Skillet. The rockers lost their damn mind, you know, because Jesse could cut them. <laughs> he could cut them. You know, so that's the thing. So and I said this in the Rolling Stone. I also made a statement too. I don't know if you ever saw this. I made a statement that uh, the original time could have been like the black Rolling Stones, the black Beatles. And uh, all people, oh, nah, why would you say that? Ah, nah. Well, I have my, you know, every, every guy in that band has had success on his own. Every single guy has been in the top 10 on his own and stuff, you know? So that's why I said that. I wasn't saying that to be disrespectful. No, I'm just saying that. If we had did what the hell we were supposed to do, we could have been huge. And well, that's the thing, you guys reunited as a super group. Yeah, yeah. You know? Because by this point, we all had, you know, some nice success on our own. So it made it made absolutely no sense for us not to go out and play and and for the masses. You know, and it just it just it, it just really irritated the hell out of me. And once again, it was about money. You know, like I said, Terry and Jimmy were making a million dollars of production. And Jimmy's fat ass wanted to stay at home with his wife anyway. Let's be honest here. He, he, he's never been a guy that really wanted to be out touring since the press days. He hasn't. You know? it, also, it also didn't help that Graffiti Bridge was not a movie. It was not, yeah. It was, it was, it was a, yeah, it was a duh. That, yeah. that didn't help it either, you know. Yeah. So it's just, uh, but you know, Prince went right back to touring and doing what he needed to do, you know. By the time he got to musicology, he was rolling again. Yeah, yeah. You know? so, yeah, you see what I'm saying? So, you know, he knew. He would get his ass out there and work. Whereas time is always like pulling teeth. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Let's go. Let's go play. Hey, hey. Oh, no. We got we got Patty LaBelle coming in. Oh, no. We, we got this coming in. We got that coming in. We we can't go. And, you know, and they were getting all this money up in advance, you know. And then they were spending money, like, because they live $10 million mansions and shit. So, you know, they got to keep. I get it. But at the same time, well, how does that benefit me? And I'm helping you make this money mind you so yeah yeah well the fans definitely lost out on that yeah yeah no question no question so uh jellybean when did you then rejoin the time to play some live shows 94 94 95 morris approached me and jerome and monty about getting back together and so you know i was kind of on the outs with flight time then i wasn't do doing too well over there production wise 
My salary was, I know, was bound to go down. So I had to have some more money, too, because I still had a girl I was engaged to in a big-ass house. And I have to make money, you know. So Morris, and Morris had lost his stuff, too. You know, he was living in Matabu, and he had lost his house. He had lost, he had the three-picture deal had fell through and all that. Him and Jerome had a TV series that had fell through, cost them millions of dollars. So only thing he could do is he had to get out here and work. He realized that. Now, in hindsight, I, I should have held his feet to the fire even more than I did, but, you know, it, it, it worked out. And so we, uh, 95, we started back up. We started playing clubs again and started getting back out there. And uh, and it helped him get back on his feet. He immediately started moving around the country. He moved to Atlanta for a while. He did there for a while. And then he moved to Vegas for a while. Then he got remarried. And now he's in Florida. And we just, we've been working ever since, you know. And then we get, you know, we, yeah, every once in a while, just like with Terry and Jimmy. They always come at us with something, you know, big and stuff. Where even though if you're mad at them, you, you're like, oh, damn. Like, a prime example here recently, they want me to do the, yeah, they, Morris did the solo thing. Uh, we did the original seven. This and, is a live recording. Yeah, it's a live. That, that's the Morris Day the Time version that's on there. Yeah. 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 So the guys we got now, the guys that's in Morris Day the Time been with us over 20 years now. Freeze and Tori. Them guys have been here a long time, man. So. Jerome figured fell out with Morris, you know, they on the outs. They still are to this day. They try to put on some facade for the people where they really should squash it and, and love one another, but they won't. So <laughs> so let's just see where we are today. So Wow. So do you feel like you're kind of a guy that gets along with whoever? I do. I always have. You know, I, I get along even when even when I mad as hell at some of them, I get along with them. Because you, it goes back to what I said earlier, Scott. You know, I always felt blessed that I was around those particular individuals. So they will always be a part of, I will always be attached to the hip with them, even though I don't have to be around them. <laughs> I will always be attached to the hip with them. So that's the thing. That's the thing with me and Morris. We, we laugh all the time. We say we go back 40 years, you know. So even when you do stuff that makes me mad, you know, I got to get over it, you know, because we're men. Life is short, you know. You have to get over it and move on and make this money and move on to the next step, you know. Because this music game is a lot tougher than it used to be out here now. You know, it, it, it. You could be yesterday's news real fast out here. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, two significant things happened for Jelly Bean in 2011, though, and I'll say this was a reuniting again. Although yeah. not able to use the time name, yeah. probably yeah. another Thank little. You, Press. Thank you, Press. Yeah. <laughs> but you know uh, what? That, that's got I, I, I really like this record. I really like this record. It's a great record, Scott. But you know, I'm, I'm, I'm and I'm gonna go back to that. But I'm gonna say another thing. You gotta realize with me. Prince did that the two bands I was in. Think about that. <laughs> two bands, the time and the family. He did that yeah. to both of them and, and didn't bat an eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't bat an eye. Two iconic bands, I might add. And he, he just, nope, nope, you can't. I'll sue you. I'll sue you. You know, I mean, really, Prince, really about a name, dude, that we have to make you a bunch of money. You're going to sue us about that. He always said he was those bands. <laughs> I'm the time. I'm the time. I'm the family. You know, just but now in hindsight, I know what, what and when it what's came out now and the stuff. I know I won't get on into it on here. I know why that happened. So uh, it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, that yeah, said condescent, condescent is a great record. Once again, I think if we had got our, off our old asses and went out there and played those songs live, it would have been great. Instead, we only play one. Uh, uh, Trending. We only played one. We all the TV shows and played trending. We got our ass out there and played. There's some great songs on there. We got out there and played them. I think the album did a lot better. But once again, <laughs> this record was way better than I ever expected it would be. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, there's nothing and, really and more Ryan you could Scott, want out of a time record. And and mind you, Scott, we we begged Prince to give us some songs for it. He would not that he wouldn't have no parts to do, deal with it. He just no, I'm not doing no, no, no. You guys can't use a name, and I'm not giving you any songs. And it was like, why? Why are you doing this? Why are you acting like this? But this is that's what he did. So you know, and, and I mean that kind of said that's all. If you listen to all our personalities on there, all all of what we stand for, all of the musical shit, all the the badass guitar playing, the drumming, all that shit is on there. That's that's who we are, you know. Production wise, that's who we are. You know, every individual in there it, you know, contributed. So And it covers all the styles too. I mean Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Cadillac's not so good. David, David blasted us. You know, we put some young people shit on there. They blasted us about that. So, you, know, you can't <laughs> win, Scott. You can't win. <laughs> but, but on some level, this has to be vindication because Prince has no involvement and it kicks ass. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. He, he, I, I, you know what? I, can't, I think he made a few comments about it, but I can't remember what they were about. I don't know if he ever liked it. I don't even know if he ever really listened. And I don't really care, you know, that's the thing. Like I said, it was tragic that it wasn't named the time condensate instead of original seven, but it is it was, it was what it is, you know. That's the same thing with Paul. We're at dinner. I'll tell you a quick story by after luck. We're at dinner. We get a call. It's Prince. He's pissed. He don't want us to use the family, all that, you know, and and, and Paul's trying to play, you know, devil's advocate and trying to be nice, like, you know, man, you, you all we you know, all we want is a few songs. He said, Well, you know, you guys can't use the name. He said, well, Prince, these songs we're doing are great and they fit us and they sound like the family. And we're going to put this out regardless if you do want us to or not. And hung up the phone because that's all you can do at this point. You know, this guy is being difficult for no reason. And he's being, you know, just just crazy. And, you know, at the same time, we're just trying to make a living and play with each other. That's all we're just trying to do. And so that's what we did. But out after Lux, we went to Europe, played. That's a badass band. You know, that's a whole total different side of me when I play with them. That's how we go. Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering on this record, do you think there was still something personal? Was he holding a grudge still against maybe uh, yeah. Paul because of what had happened? Absolutely, Scott. Absolutely. And Susanna, too. Both of them. Mm -hmm. And they both had conversations with him. And they both had horrible conversations with him. Mm -hmm. You know, and he was not being rational. He was not rational about it. You know, and I know his his friends, his fans, business is not gonna they ain't gonna believe this, but he was, and I'm just being honest with how he acted, you know, and he did not have to. Cause at the end of the day, we all loved him. He knew this. We've told him that personally. I told him, man, I love you, I love you, you made me famous. I'm indebted to you for that. But at the same time, you gotta show me some respect too, Prince. I'm not gonna let you run over me. I'm just not. You know, and that goes back to like I would say things in Wash like in the Washington Post they had a thing and he was mad about, you know. And that Jelly Bean's talking shit again. You're damn right. And if you got a problem, come see me. Come see me. We'll we'll talk about it. You know? So and he will get you there. He would. He 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 and I think he liked doing it. So whatever. <laughs> God bless him. Well tell me, Jelly Bean, how did you guys decide finally after all that time that you were gonna really do it? I had to give Paul and, and Eric credit and Susanna because, you know, I had my own problems during this time. And Paul approached me about it. He's like, you know, and he approached Jerome and Jerome being Jerome. It's like, no, I don't want to have no part. He's, he's acting like Prince. I don't want to have nothing to do with it. <laughs> you know, no reason. Mind you, he didn't have to do shit. He's not a musician. All he had to do is be on the cover and, and shut his up. face. That's all he had to do. He couldn't do, he couldn't do that. It just tried to act like Prince. You know, that's just bullshit. You know, so. So Paul reached out and to the four of us, and we said, "Okay, we're gonna do something." So Paul had a studio at his house at this point. So we just started cutting songs. We just started cutting different things on there. They, the first song they played for me was "Lover," and I was hooked. After the, the first song, I heard him and Susanna's voice. Like that's the family, and it was. It's the family. I remember Susanna was crying and shit. I'm like, "That's us. That's who we are." And prison has shit to do with it. Think about that. You know. So hey. No, I mean, that's the great thing about it is, I mean, it really showcases the talent that yeah. you guys had. Yeah, we had. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and just, oh, man. Yeah, it's, it's, it's what it could have been, Scott. You know, I, I go through that all the time, what it could have been. But we, we're making the best of it now. You know, both bands are, you know, working. We both do shit together. You know, me and Paul are going to be lifetime friends. I just did a play one of the baddest bands I've played in my life. You know, I've been in some bad bands. I just played one of the baddest Prince tribute bands in my life with the Australia with Paul. Uh, it was absolutely phenomenal. It really was. The, 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 the amount of talent in that band was staggering. It really was. And we played, uh, we played the Opera House two nights, and then we played Melbourne. It was cool. So they talked about us doing that again or whatever. But, you know, After Lux, I'm sure After Lux will do something. Paul and Eric have their own band. I have a single coming out called uh, uh, Put Some Jelly on it. And uh, that's coming out in the coming weeks and stuff. It's going to be... I'm 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 going for new territory, Scott. Jelly Bean as a as a solo artist. <laughs> Watch out, people. <laughs> it took a it only took a few years. It only took a few years. 
took a few years. I, you know, people just ask me all the time, you know, Terry Lewis would say, for instance, I said, you know, you being, you know, and my whole thing is I couldn't sing. But, you know, I wasn't thinking like a Quincy Jones thing, but you get people to sing for you. You don't have to sing Robert Charlotte, you know, Jeff, them guys always had singers, you know. Oh, yeah. And I, I wasn't thinking like that thing. I was always thinking I had to sing. No, I don't. You know, there's plenty of people out there that can sing. And I just, as long as I put the right music on them, it's, it's going to be all right. So. I got to show you this too, Jellybean, this one. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's it's a cool got, ass. Uh, I did the uh, crowdfunding thing. Okay, okay, yeah. So it's got, yeah. so I got another signature of yours. That's a cool covers record, man. Those songs on there, we put our own spin on them, man, but they are they are smoking, man. They really they are. are. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you guys did not just go through the motions. I mean, you did it right. Yeah, yeah. We put our own spin, but that's that's how we live, though, Scott. That's we, we, We're here in Minnesota. I tell people this all the time. Nobody has a music scene like that. We have extraordinarily talented people walking these streets. And I, I can say that because I play with a lot of them, you know, every night, you know, just sitting in or just being around them. And, and you can't help but be inspired, you know, by some of the, the musicianship that we have going on in the city, you know. So that's that's how that is. You had one of my favorite guitar players on that, Eric Gales. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Eric is a good friend of mine. And, man, I'm telling you, I've been in so many guitar wars with him, man. It is frightening. It is absolutely frightening. And he will, he will bring you to tears, the stuff that he plays on the guitar. I'm he, you know, I'm always, every other day, he posts some of him doing a clinic or something. And you hear him play things that you think are, are not humanly possible for a guitar player. And you know there's a ton of badass guitar players walking this earth. And he is just, he just pissing all over him. <laughs> he can just he can just run all run rock shot of the rockers know this. They heard and knew it. You know, so that's just unbelievable. Well, he's almost my neighbor in North Carolina now, so I get to see him play a lot more. Oh, okay, yeah. And yeah. and then the other thing, he's clean now. You know, he's sober now. So he's even more frightening now. You know, yeah, he yeah. don't have a demon from before. He is sober and playing his ass off. Yeah. So the um, Jelly Bean Experience, is that what you're calling? Uh -huh. the, Jelly, the Jelly Bean Johnson Experience. I have a GoFundMe page on my Jelly Bean page and stuff. And we're trying to get up funds to do the rest of the record. We're about four or five songs in. We're going to put the single out and try to generate some funds from that and let people hear what it's going to, this is what the rec record's going to sound like. This is what I'm trying to go for. This is the sound I want. And we're gonna see what happens, Scott. You know, I don't know. Like I said, I'm a solo shit. Is I've always been a team player. Now we're gonna see what happens when I, you know, when I'm actually the boss. I always didn't want to be the boss. I always fought against it. I always wanted somebody to tell me what to do. But now, you know, when you have your own stuff, you you know, you're the boss. You're in charge. You know, and you can dictate how you sound and what you sound like and how you look. Because look is a good thing, a big part of it too. You gotta look right too. You gotta look like. You got to fool the people at least think you know what the hell you're doing, you know. <laughs> so, hey, so is it, is it this time. We'll see. Is it going to be mostly rock or funk or what's the style? It's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be me in the middle of all the things I've stood for, and yeah, so there'll be rock, there'll be a lot of funk, there'll be the blues, you know, because I have a, 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 a anybody that knows me know I love the blues. Uh, there'll be some jazzy things from you know probably from the F Deluxe, you know, because F Deluxe. Can, with Eric, you can, you can go there with him, you know. Uh, and just a bunch of horns, you know, I grew up with horns. You know, but this first single has horns on it. Uh, Tom Tom Washington, you know, from Earth, Wind & Fire and all that fame and all that stuff. He's based out of Chicago. He put a great horn arrangement on this particular song. And so, so you got the Minneapolis funk with this Chicago horns and uh, I think people are gonna like it. I really do. It's gonna be kind of different, yeah. You mentioned um, the drummer from Tower of Power as being a big influence. Uh -huh. um, are there any other drummers that you really look up to that are a big influence on, on you? And, and how would you how would you describe your own style? Um, I, my own style, Scott, I just, I, I'm a, like a power funk rock drummer because I grew up on the rockers. I grew up listening to like Tommy Aldridge and, and uh, Don Brewer from Grand Funk, uh, uh, Cozy Powell. You know, a lot of a lot of the badass white rock drummers I liked, and then I was a, a, a student of the funkers, like you know, like Garibaldi. Uh, I, I, I like the fusion drummers, like Lenny White, Billy Cobham. Uh, I know I'm leaving a few guys out. Uh, uh, Clyde Stubblefield from James Brown. Uh, just just a bunch of guys that influenced me. Uh, Greg Arecker from Sly, you know, and uh, just people like Jerome Jerome Braley, Larry Blackman. 
lot of the funk drummers, like, you know, I just stole a little bit from everybody's style. But in, in concert with the time, I, I try to push us a lot of open hat, hat rocks stuff, you know, and uh, and then we'll get back to the more complex stuff like 7-7 seven, seven, stuff like that. But it's, I'm a little bit of everything. I'm kind of like a comedian. That's, that's even with the guitar, you know, I, you know, I, I love the blues. I love a lot of heavy metal stuff. And and, you know, Hendrix, Hendrix is my all time favorite guitar player. But then I like the jazzers, you know, I like guys like George Benson that can play them. Even though I can't play that stuff really good, I like that stuff, you know. So, so that's what the Jelly Bean Johnson experience is going to be about. I'm going to put myself in the middle of these different music situations and see how they come out. Yeah, well, for those who haven't looked, I mean, go on YouTube, look at the clips because they're phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, also don't want to let you go without just mentioning, um, you know, a Prince passed a couple years ago. Given the history that had transpired, um, how did it hit you at, at, at the time and how have you reconciled it? Well, I've reconciled with it in recent, in like a year or so, because I, behind the scenes, I found out just how many, how many demons was on him and I didn't know it, you know, it was, it was bad, you know, and I had no idea at the time. I probably would have understood better if I had known at the time what he was going through and how much pain he was in. I probably would accept it more. I just thought he was just being an irrational human being. Uh, as far as that that fateful day that happened, it was one of the worst days in my life. I will never forget it because the first call I got was saying uh, if somebody had died at Paisley, but it wasn't him. And then after about an hour, I started flooding in and all that. And uh and it was it was just heartbreaking. It was just heartbreaking because I hadn't really reconciled with him. You know, I didn't really get a chance to really reconcile with him. I mean, me personally. We record I'll take that back. We played Paisley that January. We played Paisley that January. And he held he, the people that were there said, you know, and this was during the time when me and Morris was doing the switch, and you know, I'd go out front and play the drums, play black I played the guitar and play black cat or something like that. So we did that at Paisley. We were doing that, we did that for bottom a four-month stretch for Morris uh, check it out and wanted to stay up front all the time and so I couldn't go back out front anymore. But anyway, so uh, so we played Paisley and I knew he had been acting irrational so I remember the night, a couple of nights before I said, Morris, I said, you got my back, right? I said, because, you know, if Morris, I said, Prince destroys one of my guitars, you know I'm going to knock him out. You know that, right? He said, Bing, no, it's not going to happen. That's Bing, I got you. It's not going to happen. So anyway, so we played and it was phenomenal and everything. So anyway, we're sitting there afterwards, and he calls Morris back to his room and keeps him back there two hours. We're sitting there, where the hell is we want to leave and go back to the hotel? But anyway, and Morris said, you know, he was back there. He said he was jovial. He loved us. He talking about how much he loved us. He said he wanted to be my manager. He wanted to manage the time again. He wanted to take us to New York. And so I think that was his way of reconciling with us. And then Morris said when he hugged him, he felt like he was saying goodbye. That's how, you know, he felt you know, press up. And you could tell he was not well, man. He was down to 112 pounds. He didn't look kind of scary to me for the last few times I saw him on TV. Remember when he destroyed the dude from the Roots guitar? You remember that? Did you see that one? Yeah. He looked, he looked, looked like something was wrong with him then for him to do that in the first place. I mean, I didn't put that past him, but he did not look well. He just didn't. And it turned out he wasn't. So, and so it, it was it was just bad. You know, I, you know, I went through my part. Uh, my times privately crying and all that stuff, but after a while, you have to come to grips. It is what it is, and we. I moved on, and you know, I, I know he's in a better place now, and I'm just trying to be a better person while I'm down here on Earth, my damn self. That's that's what's going on with me. So, yeah. What do you think is um, the most um, significant quality or attribute that you learned from your um, exposure and time with Prince? Uh, just to believe, just to believe in myself. Uh, you know, when you when you do a part, play it like you own it, and especially if you're recording it, and 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 be confident, be confident about about your skills and your anything, and 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 do just do your thing. That's that, that's the one thing I learned about. I, I mean, I've sat next to this guy and just watching play parts. And I know they're going to tape, and he's not even worried. You know, even if he makes a mistake, you wouldn't know it because it's it's so the part is so badass. You're like, hey, and, and he's like, all right, I kind of messed that up, like, you know. And sometimes he would go back and, and redo it. Sometimes he wouldn't. And like I said, the public don't even know. You know, this is iconic song being written right in front of you or played right in front of you. And some of the parts ain't even right, but 
you don't know that. <laughs> you don't know that. It's great. Yeah. So that's the thing. Like, you know, I used to sit there and like do like solos. I would do, you know, solo over and over. And I went, I don't feel this. And then after a while, I do a couple, two, three passes. And then I try to take like, you know, like with singing, try to take the best passes I thought and put them together. But after a while, you, you just have to own up to it, you know, and you have to live with it and throw it against the wall, see what sticks. And that's that's the thing I learned the most from him, you know, and just being blessed enough to be around and to see how he, how he operated, you know. Now, now Mor Morris had his up and ups and downs also throughout his career. and He's had some oh, you know, drug yeah. issues and stuff. So, you know, how, how have you hung with him so long? And, and it must have been difficult times with Morris, too. It's been, I, I've had my difficult times with him, but we have a one, we have a real love for each other. And that's the only thing that's gotten us together. Trust me, I've been through some, some, some helpful times with him. I really have. I really, and sometimes where I'd like, I don't know if I can keep doing this, you know, but Scott, at the end of the day, there, there's worse jobs. There's worse jobs around here. And that's, that's the thing. And, and we're attached to the hip. I know that, you know, that's something Jerome never figured out. And so. It just, you know, it just goes on and stuff. You know, the same thing with Terry and Jim. I have a real hate and real love and hate relationship with them, you know. But the thing is, is that, you know, they helped me get these songs out here and people know who I am today, you know. So so you have to take the good with the bad. You know, that's the way I look at it. What's your hopefully, hopefully there's enough good for you to stay here. <laughs> what, what, what's your favorite time song? My favorite song in concert probably is Cool. Cool. I can tell when we're in concert, Cool is like the second, third song in. I can tell if we're going to have a good night by that song. You know, because I, I, I see the crowd's participation. If, if the sounds are coming out, you know, sometimes the, the keyboard sounds ain't quite right. Sometimes money don't quite have a doubt in, but most of the time he does. Sometimes our keyboards will let you down. But if the keyboard paces are running right and everything and stuff on that song, it's, it's phenomenal. Man. It really is. And that's my favorite one to play. From a, a drumming stamp standpoint, is funk more challenging than rock or blues, or the, how do you categorize that? Funk, funk is more challenging because you have to be disciplined and, and, and keep your pocket. You know, it's a lot of these, I call them church drummers and stuff. They, you know, they want to show all the chops and you know all the fancy rolls and all that. I went through that, and that Prince is another one that broke me out of that too. You know, it's two and four. Two and four. That's you want asses wiggling. You don't. You don't got time. The people out there in the audience don't care how good your chops are. They, they, oh, that's nice. He, he, he went down the drums real fast. But you, you got to be able to dance. You cannot dance if you're rolling on every verse and all that. You put, you put feels in the places where they're supposed to be. You make them nice and simplified. And even if they're complex, you put them in the place where they're supposed to be. And you keep driving two and four. You keep hitting them in the head with a brick. And that's any of those idioms: blues, rock, jazz, any of them. You keep the pulse that's your job you're the engine so that's that's how i look at it who do you think was prince's best drummer was it um um john blackwell michael bland michael, michael bland, bland over black over blackwell michael bland over blackwell blackwell trust me was phenomenal had all the chops all this stuff you for playing stick here prince you to give him fits about all the fancy you know this no you know because john could do that and not miss them but prince would claim just to because he couldn't do it himself he would get on Blackwell. You missed this. You missed that. No, I watched that boy be 18 years old in cameo. He was phenomenal, and he could still do all that string, stick twirl and shit, and still not miss a beat. So that's the thing. Uh, but Michael Bland, Michael Bland is the, he's the thing of what I'm talking about. He's powerful. He uh, he has chops up the butt, and, but he's gonna he, he he's gonna. Keep that pulse, and that's what you want. That's what Prince loved about it. That's why he's on most Prince recordings. If Prince is not playing himself, it's usually Michael Bland. Yeah. Well, I love when they did that trio thing. They never released it, but yeah. it was just Bland and Sonny. I, I and Prince. Prince about that too. I'm like, dude, how could you not? And Sonny and and Sonny and Bland were heartbroken about that too because they, once again, they could have toured as that trio, and made a whole bunch of money and and really cleaned up, you know. Because they were phenomenal. They sounded great, you know, but he didn't want to do it. He did that to a bunch of bunch of projects, man, He that people never got to see. He always teased them. Like, he teased you. You see that trio? You'd be like, damn, that'd be great to see that for about like an hour. Nope. <laughs> he let you see, go on YouTube and watch it for a little bit, and then that's it. So, You think there's any uh, audio or video of Jelly Bean in the vault? Yeah, I'm sure there is. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's all it's stuff. He got stuff on all of us. There's no question. Yeah. 
it's in his estate right now. I guarantee you. Yeah. He actually, well, I actually played a few things. I played on Jill Jones' record, uh, a song called "For Love." Uh, something else I did. I can't. I can't remember. I, he he would play, play stuff you never knew if it's gonna see light of day, until you maybe heard it later on or somebody bootleg or something. But he he'd have it. Trust me. Rehearsals. I remember the, the the family used to have some fierce rehearsals, man. He he would record them. And a lot of that stuff ended up in Europe. I got, I got that stuff in later years from U- Europeans on CDs. They would bring me these CDs and I'd be playing. I'm like, where did you get that? You know, and that's some somebody that worked for Prince. You know, that, that you know, they did that shit. Yeah. Yeah, some of those 20, 30 minute rehearsals. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, late night jams, there's the CDs I'm on way at Paisley late night because, you know, he would jam at five or six o'clock in the morning and my dumb ass would be out there with him. <laughs> and be out there even on the guitar and the drums. Yep. And there's records of that stuff too. He recorded everything. Trust me. I actually asked, um, I'm sorry, I asked, um, um, Dr. Fink, uh, oh, Matt, yeah. I asked Matt um, about being on call, you know. Um, oh, yeah. Were you? Did you ever get uh, called in late night and have to kind of jump? For me, no, nah, no. Nah. I, I usually was there late night. That's the thing, man. You know, but them guys that worked for him directly, like Tommy Barbarella, Fink, and Morse Hayes, they were on twenty-four cars. You could be in the bed with your girl. You got to get up and leave her. She didn't like that, but <laughs> he had to go. <laughs> That's how he rolled. That's how it was. You signed up, especially if he was paying you. Wow. All right. Well, thank you so much. So generous with your time. It's been a great blast talking to you. I appreciate all the stories and the candor. Um, I want to make sure that viewers can, you know, jump on it when you uh, release something and, okay. and and follow you. So what's the best way to keep up with everything you're doing? Uh, I'm on Facebook under, under my real name, Gary Johnson. You can go on there and then there's this Jellybean Johnson uh, page, fan page. You can go on there. And you can also Google me, you know, that my, a lot of stuff, you know, uh, my manager name is Marty Bragg. She keeps a lot of people abreast of what I'm doing. So it's easy to find out. I and was, you can go on the more than the time page too. I was remiss. I didn't ask how you got the jelly bean nickname. Oh God. <laughs> we'll do the short convincement. A trumpet player from our band back in the late seventies, we were flight time. Remember I was telling you what we were a band and stuff. And uh, we were like 15, 16, 17 years old. And we played, we actually getting in some clubs. We shouldn't have been, but we were. And we were playing in a club downtown called The Flame Bar. And we were in there one night, and it was seven nights of the week. You know, they had music seven nights of the week. And our dumb asses signed up for that, even though we had school. And you're, stuff. you're cut off. You're cut off, Jelly Bean. Oh, okay. There you go. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Even though we, uh, we had school and stuff, we still would be there playing at night. So anyway, we were in there with this particular Tuesday night. And we sounded bad and everything. So we come off the stage, the trumpet player said, damn, man, we, we just don't have it tonight. He said, we sound like a bunch of jelly beans. He said, ah, that's it, Jelly Bean Johnson. <laughs> so anyway, he comes back the next day with a T-shirt and it has a vulture on it and it says Jelly Bean. And the whole band cracked up and everything. And I've been Jelly Bean ever since. And then I'm gonna tell you another quick story too about that. During my Prince years, uh, I don't know if you remember a guy named Jelly Bean Benitez. Yeah, he was Prince uh, Madonna, right? Madonna. He was with Madonna. That's yeah. kind of famous that he was with Madonna at this point. Anyway, he called PRN Productions and asked Prince if I could change my name. And Prince told him, get the hell off our phone. <laughs> <laughs> so Jellybee's not changed. He's Jellybee Johnson. You're Jellybee Benitez. Goodbye. <laughs> Basically. So, yeah. So I've been Jellybee ever since. Yeah. And then, he, then a little side note to that, too. He would see me, like, at the Grammys. I'd go to Grammys with Terry and Jimmy or something like that. He'd be there. He'd run up. Oh man, I'm so sorry about the thing with Prince, man. I, I, I never really wanted needed you to change your name. I just thought it would be a conflict, and I was like, okay, dude, whatever. <laughs> oh shit. But yeah, that's how I got the name Jellybee. All right, all right. So with that, uh, much appreciated, much love. Um, you've given us so much great music, and uh, I'm so glad you're continuing to do it. So best of luck to everything that you're doing, and thank you so much. Hey, thank you, Scott. Take care of yourself, man. You, you, you the shit. Take it, <laughs> it was so fascinating to hear Jelly Bean's perspective of all the amazing musicians he's been associated with and also how he weathered 
those storms and still did his thing. He's not only a superbly gifted player, but also a straight shooter and very important in this business, a survivor. And man, oh man, do I share some of his frustrations with the time and the family, knowing that as great as they were, as their legacies continue to endure, there was so much more potential left to die on the vine. I thoroughly enjoyed my time with Jelly Bean and thank him again for being so generous with me and the Truth and Rhythm audience. Speaking of which, much thanks again to you, the viewer and listener, for continuing to keep interest and the faith and show support. Be sure to look out for upcoming Truth and Rhythm episodes and catch up with previous installments at FunkyStuff.net on YouTube, iTunes, and other leading podcast providers. New shows generally premiere 7 o'clock Eastern on Wednesdays. Occasionally we skip a Wednesday, but the objective is to have a new show each and every Wednesday, and we'll do our best to do that. Subscribe. If you haven't already subscribed, please subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube. And if you have subscribed, get friends and family to do the same. We need that support. Show these great funk artists and, and um, R&B and jazz musicians that you love what they do and you support their work and will never forget what they gave us. Beautiful. <laughs> so with that, until next time, as always, this is Scott Dr. G.S. Goldfine saying, keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one.